0: Well, grace and peace be multiplied to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the day that the Lord has made and we should rejoice and be glad in it. It is such an honor, a privilege, a pleasure, and a blessing to be with you all here today um, at First Free Church on this Lord's Day. Um, I want to say thank you to Pastor Josh for this opportunity to be with you all on this day. As you, um, as he just said, he is one of my dear friends. Um, And I am grateful for his friendship, his brotherhood, his love, his mentoring, his pastoring. He has kept me from doing a lot of foolish things. So, I am so grateful for for him, you may wonder. Every time I'm here, I say something kind about your pastor. You may wonder why does he do that? Is he trying to flatter him um, so that he can invite it back? If that were the case, I would be an epic fail because it's been over a year <laughs> since I've been here. <laughs> uh, no, I, I am truly grateful from the depths of my heart for your pastor. And I, I, I come from a tradition where we honor the pastor the lead pastor of the church so it's just kind of in me by nature to do that as well but I also as many of you and if not all of you have a very high view of the office of pastor as well and this is one way I want to honor him uh, publicly um, is by doing this This morning, we're going to study from Philippians chapter number 4. So if you have your Bibles or your device, I would have you turn or swipe there. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse number 10 through 13. Four verses this morning that we want to consider for our time this morning. I don't have anything new for you this morning. I just have what the Lord has already said. You guys have been blessed for years to be hearers of some of the best expositors in our country, in my opinion. So I didn't come here to do any better preaching, just a little more of it. Philippians chapter four, beginning with verse number 10 through verse number 13. If you would stand and honor and reverence to God's holy word. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 10. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Here is is how it reads. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 1965, Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones shared with the world the lyrics to this song. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get me no satisfaction. And I try and I try and I try. And guess what? They said, I can't get no satisfaction. Those lyrics, as true as they were back in 1965, are still true for us here in the year of our Lord, 2023. If we were true to ourselves and we were true about the state of our world, we would say, with Rolling Stones, we can't get no satisfaction. And I'm not here to say that you're guilty of it. I too am guilty of it. I oftentimes find myself, don't take my man card, man, on Amazon for no reason at all. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get an Amazon package, it feels like Christmas all over again. I am an iPhone guy, and every year I'm excited about the newest iteration of the iPhone. Of course, I will be excited. Some of you won't get this because you're an Android person. I have no idea what you're doing. (laughs) We can't get no satisfaction. We as a nation have had more wealth than we've ever had, but yet we're also in the most debt we've ever been in. We are a discontent people. We're discontent with what we have. We're discontent with who we are. We're discontent with what we look like. We're discontent with who we're married to or who we're not married to. We are a discontent people. And I'm convinced that one of the greatest messages of our day is the message of contentment. And that's what Paul gives us in these few verses here in Philippians chapter 4 beginning in verse 10. Paul starts off by saying that he rejoiced greatly in the Lord because they renewed his concern for him. He makes sure, though, that that he knows that they have always been concerned for him. It wasn't like these Philippian Christians were concerned for him for a moment of time, and then they were like, all right, we're going to move on to something else or something better. No, he says, I know you were always concerned for me, but you didn't have the opportunity. We're not completely sure why this was the case for the Philippians, that they didn't have the opportunity. Some have speculated that it was because of their extreme poverty that Paul points out in Second Corinthians. Others presume that they didn't have the opportunity because Paul was always on the move as a missionary. We can't be certain what the case was, but whatever it was, Paul is aware that they had the concern for him, but not the opportunity. But yet now they've had the opportunity to send some gift to Paul by Epaphroditus. So because of that, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because of their generosity toward him. And Paul, he wants to clarify in this first verse here in verse 10 that he says, I'm not saying what I've said to you because I'm in some need. I'm not trying to manipulate you into giving me more money no 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 he, he says I want to clarify to you I'm rejoicing in the Lord be- for, because you had the opportunity and the desire to, to, to help me but I'm not rejoicing because I was in need and he Paul says I, I haven't been in need because I've learned to be content in whatever situation I've experienced now before we get into the truths of contentment, I'd like to give you a definition of contentment. This is not the definition of contentment. It is a definition of contentment. I'm now teaching at, uh, um, where do I teach, Josh? Classical school, thank you, uh, of Wichita. And one of the things we are learning in this whole classical education is we got to define our terms. So here we go. Friends, contentment is that sweet inner peace that comes from being satisfied in Christ regardless of one's circumstance in life. Contentment is that sweet inner peace that comes from being satisfied with Christ regardless of one's circumstances in life. That's how I'm going to be using that term contentment this morning. So then, how is it that we can go from being a very discontented people to being a people of contentment? I'm glad you asked. First of all, Paul teaches us here in these very few verses that contentment is independent of our circumstances. Contentment is independent of our circumstances. He says in verse 10, he says that I've learned in whatever situation to be content. Friends, oftentimes we think that we are justified in being discontent because our current state in life. We think we have the right to be discontent because of our finances, our health, our marital problems, our children, our past trauma. And let me say, by no means do I mean to diminish or minimize our suffering. It is real, and it oftentimes, and it really sucks. But Paul, too, knew suffering. Paul knew what it meant to be in chains. Paul knew what it meant to be beaten and flogged and experience physical suffering. Despite these situations, Paul says, I've learned to be content. And it was actually not despite his sufferings, but it was oftentimes because of his sufferings that Paul learned to be content. Paul didn't learn to contentment because because everything was right in his life. For Paul, contentment was not the result of living the good life. No, his contentment was independent of his circumstances in life. Friends, if we are to gain contentment, we cannot wait for our life circumstances to change for the better. True Christian contentment exists despite life's ups and downs. So here's a question for us this morning. What, what actually do you need to be content? Is it more stuff, less stuff, a bigger house, a nicer car, a new husband? Friends, true Christian contentment has nothing to do with our circumstances. It transcends The vicissitudes of life. First thing Paul teaches us here is contentment is independent of our circumstances in life. We cannot wait for life to just get better for us to say, now I'll be content. Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I am. Second thing he teaches us is that contentment must be learned through various life experiences. Contentment must be learned through various life experiences. In verse 11, he says, I have learned to be content. Help me preach. Say learned. Learned. An alternative translation to this sentence says, I have come to learn. Friends, this indicates that Paul has not always known contentment. Remember, Paul had been raised in the lap of luxury. He had never known want or lack as a young man. Thus, he had to learn to be content. And for us, friends, what this means is that contentment, it teaches us that contentment does not come naturally to man. We are naturally a discontented people. We always are craving more. More money, more attention, more things, more food, more people, more status symbols, more options, more education. We always want more, more, more because that's what's natural to us in our fallen state. And so then, because, and and if this was, and if we really got this, we would say with the Rolling Stones, we just can't get no satisfaction. So because we are discontent by nature, we have to learn to be content. That word learn comes from the same word we get our term, disciple or discipleship. Paul had to be discipled in contentment. When Paul says his teacher goes by the name experience, it's been said that experience is oftentimes the best teacher. You will learn more from the things that happen to you in life than you will from hearing about it or reading about it. And for Paul, it was through his experience of the various life, his various life situations that he learned contentment. Paul says, it was because I went through the different seasons of life that I learned contentment. And friends, we too will have to learn contentment by the things we experience. I told my church one time, you know our context is 13th and Grove, so I can say things like this. You'll appreciate the car you have now once you've learned what it's like to be stranded and have to walk in the rain, sleet, snow, and cold. You'll be grateful for the food in your refrigerator when you've had to go through some hungry nights you'll learn to appreciate the person in your relationship now when you've had to talk to yourself and rock yourself to sleep at night some things can only be learned by experience and paul says my learning came through two schools the first was the school of adversity Verse 12, he says, I know how to be abased. The word abased means to be brought low or to be humble. It's the same word that Paul uses back in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 8, when he says in being found, he describes Christ. He says in being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Christ suffered the humiliation of the cross. He was brought low so that we could be brought up. And that same idea is the word that's used here in verse 12 for a base. Paul says, I learned humility through the situations, the circumstances, the sufferings I experienced. And sometimes, friends, God takes us through a season of adversity. Adversity. So that we can simply learn to be content, even in humiliating circumstances. Paul says, I learned in the school of adversity how to be content, but I also learned in the school of prosperity how to be content. That's verse 12. He says, I also know how to abound. That word abound means to overflow. It means to have more than enough. To have leftovers. It's the same word that's used um, in the gospel when Jesus fed the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. After Jesus fed the 5,000, the text says that he told his disciples to gather up the leftover fragments. That word leftovers there comes from the same word that's used in our text for abound. Because I know how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. I know how to be brought low, and, and, and I know how to be brought up. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Leftovers. I'm sorry, I'm lingering there, because my oldest son just went to college. He's an 18-year-old, and he's in college playing football. And because my wife is in, uh, working on several things right now, I have to do the cooking. It is not something that brings me joy naturally. She's so much better at it than me. And and now that he's... But now that my oldest son is gone off, I have no point. I'm just testifying, telling you of the goodness of the Lord. Now that he is off, we actually have leftovers. (laughs) Lord, have mercy. That boy would come up in the middle of the night and just devour all the food up. And so now cooking every day of the... Instead of cooking every day of the week, I only have to cook twice a week. (laughs) Now, that's where I say God is good. (laughs) I'm, I'm experiencing in my grocery bill and in, my, and in the food in the house and in my refrigerator. How do I bound now? <laughs> Again, I had no point. I just wanted to tell you. <laughs> <clears throat> Paul says, I, I know how to, li- how to have a little and I- how to have a lot. Let's be honest with each other. That's where most of us want to be. We think if we can be in a season of abundance, then We can be content. But let me caution us, friends. Abundance without adversity can be dangerous. I remember way back in, way back. I remember a few years ago in 2008 when we experienced the greatest recession since the Great Depression. How it seemed like day after day there were CEOs and CFOs, some millionaires. Unfortunately, committing suicide because they were losing so much money from the stock market. Maybe it was because they only knew how to live in abundance. Friends, God blesses many of us to experience both adversity and prosperity so we can be content in whatever state we are in. Through both both the schools of adversity and prosperity, Paul learned to be content. I'm convinced, let me preach parenthetically here for a moment. I'm convinced that Paul learned to be content because he learned to trust in the providence of God. Paul knew that God was not just some hands-off father and creator, but He, God was ordering and orchestrating and directing the seasons of his life. And with that knowledge, Paul knew that God was working things for good. He ch- learned to trust the very providence of God. And maybe some of us lack contentment because we, rather than trusting God's providence, we oftentimes despise God's providence. Horatio Spafford understood the providence of God. In November 1873, Horatio's wife and four daughters were on an ocean lining that was crossing the Atlantic. From the US to Europe. Horatio was not with his family at the time because an urgent matter had come up that he needed to attend it to back in Chicago. He intended to join his wife and daughters a few days later. About four days into the trip, the ocean liner crashed into another ship. Within minutes, the ship carrying Horatio's wife and daughters sank into the ocean. His wife survived, but his four daughters did not. It was after this tragedy that Horatio penned the words of this poem. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot that has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Beloved, this is contentment. It's not being in denial of suffering and pain. That's what the Stoics believe. They believe that contentment was uh, for, to be content. You had to be indifferent and emotionally detached. No, this is not about denial. It's trusting God's providence so that you are able to say, with Horatio Spafford, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Now, now, I know you're saying Brandon, I would be devastated. I don't know if I could recover from this and I get it. I I can't actually I don't get it. I can't imagine losing one of my three children. I don't know what it would do to me. But God said sometimes the providential hand of God allows us to suffer so that we can learn to be content. I know, you're saying, Brandon, I've been with you so far in this simple sermon. But that kind of tragedy, that kind of devastation, this seems too idealistic. I don't, I don't know how I could ever be content if something like that happened to me and my family. It seems impossible. I hear you. I hear you. That's why I'm so glad the sermon and the text doesn't end there. How in the world can you say you can be content in whatever situation it is, even if it means losing your children? That's why we got to keep on reading because Paul tells us how we can do it in verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Y'all excuse me. I'm getting excited about the word of God. That's how we do something like this through Christ. Who gives us strength? Let me give you my third point. The source of contentment is found in Christ. The strength for contentment is found in Christ. How can I be content? How can this secret become reality for me? How can I find the willpower to be content? Is it just trying harder? I know I've already buried the lead, but go with me. I wrote this. Is it trying harder? The Rolling Stones already told us. It ain't trying because they tried and they tried and they tried, and they still couldn't get no satisfaction. So where, how in the world, can we find contentment in life? And that's where Paul says, he tells us that the strength for contentment is not internal to a person, but it's external. The power does not come from within, but from without. That's why he tells us I can do all things through Christ or him who strengthens me and that him is Christ. Friends, you can only be content through Christ. The secret to contentment is in the Savior. The strength for contentment is found in the one who has all power, Jesus Christ. Your satisfaction and sufficiency is not found in yourself or in this world. It rests in the Savior. That's why when we, look for, when we look to Christ for power and for strength, we can join along with Paul and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, 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 let me put the brakes on for a moment. I, I was on the runway ready for my exit. But I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. Brandon, does that really mean I can do all things? This is one of the most misused, abused, and misapplied verses in Scripture. Many an athletes, like myself, have quoted this verse to help us perform well in a football game. To block the lineman who was 50 pounds bigger than, than us. To make that major shot during the basketball game. To help us endure, endure, have success in a track or swimming meet. Is this what Paul was talking about here? Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. Context is king when you're reading the Bible and studying the Bible. The context is being content in whatever situation we're in. So when, we, when the text says, I can do all things, what things? Being content when I have a little and when I'm living with leftovers. What things? When I'm hungry and when I'm full. What things? I can live, I can have contentment even when I'm living in pain. Or when I'm pain-free. I can be content with no money, little money, some money, or a lot of money. I, I, what things? I, I can live in the projects or I can live in a palace. What things? I can be content whether I drive a Hummer or a hoopty. All right, a few y'all know what that is. That's what he's talking about when he says, I can do all things. You mean you can really be content in whatever situation? I can do all things. It's through Christ who gives us strength. Beloved, Christ is our strength. The Savior will indeed strengthen you in your time of struggle. There are living testimonies in this room right now. Who if y'all were uh, uh, in a, if I were in a Pentecostal church right now, they would be running around this place right now saying, Brandon, I know he will. There are testimonies in this church right now who can tell you that God will give you strength. It will, sur- it, 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 it will blow your mind, the strength that Christ will give you in your time of suffering and struggle. He will give you the strength to be content in times of trials and tribulations. He will give you strength to be content in the midst of pain and problems. Not only is Christ our strength, but Christ is also our sufficiency. Friends, I'm learning that enough will never be enough until Christ is enough. Until Christ is enough, contentment will remain elusive. Why is there so much discontentment in the world? The world doesn't have Christ. Why is there so much discontentment in the church? Because Christ is not enough. For, t- for s- too many Christians, contentment requires Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus a certain job. Jesus plus the right living situation. Jesus plus my relationship status. Jesus plus then I'll be content. And that is not how contentment works. As long as this is the case, we will ever be chasing after contentment. Because the things of this world can never satisfy. Because C.S. Lewis tells us that this, because we were made for another world. so The things of this world will never satisfy. Only Christ can satisfy our deepest need. So now as I hurry back to my seat, are you tired of chasing satisfaction through the things of this world? I urge you, I plead with you, I beg of you, don't wait, don't hesitate, come to Christ. Because there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy Christ is indeed enough. I know he was enough because one Friday he paid the penalty that nobody else could pay when he gave his, only, his own life on, on the cross. And we know that Christ was enough. His death on the cross was enough because the Father himself, whose wrath we need to be saved from, raised his son from the grave because Christ was enough. Friends, because of his work, we don't have to worry about working for our own salvation. Why? Because Christ is enough. He was enough back on Calvary. He was enough when God raised him from the dead. If he was enough then, then he's enough now. Christ is enough. So can we be content in whatever situation we are in? Only when Christ is enough. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your grace and your mercy revealing your self, your will, your character, your attributes to us. Thank you for revealing through your word how we can be at peace with you and be reconciled with you. Thank you also for revealing in your word how we can be content in whatever situation we are in. Now, God, for many in this room today, Contentment remains elusive. We are constantly bombarded in this world with ads and commercials and all kinds of promotions that make us crave more and make us feel like we don't have enough. Help us, God, to learn to be content. Help us, God, to see that Christ is indeed Enough. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for being so discontent. God help us to not try to pursue contentment in our own power, but to rely on the strength and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there be any man, woman, boy, or girl who's here this morning and has heard these words, and they do not have not yet trusted Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. Holy Spirit, would you begin to convince them, convict them, and convert them? Help them to see their need for a Savior. So that they come crying, what must I do to be saved? And they hear clearly, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. These things we pray in the matchless, marvelous, majestic, and mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.